Hey, it's Joey Thurman. I'm excited to bring you season two of the Fad or Future podcast. We live in a world where information is everywhere, easy to access, and sometimes not always accurate, especially in the health and wellness space, which is exactly why I created this show. There's two sides to every story, and I'm here to present both and let you decide, is it a fad or is it the future? Health fads come and go, but the science behind them is what makes them work or fail. I'm bringing the experts to you and putting the facts on the table so you can decide how and where to put your efforts in your own personal health and wellness journey. Uh, what's going on? It's Joey Thurman. Here's another episode of the Fad or Future podcast. And do we need our brains? I don't think we need our brains, do we? Do we need to work out? How about working out and our brain health? I don't know. I've got this guy, Ryan Glatt, staring in front of me with a cat behind him, <laughs> brain health coach, personal trainer, and about a week away from having his master's in neuroscience, so we can say uh, master's of neuroscientist. You know, I'm, I'm going to say that you passed everything and you graduated, so we're going to go ahead and do that. What's up, man? Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, so you are a personal trainer and a brain health coach. What? What is that? I mean, you don't need to explain personal trainer. People know a personal trainer is. What is a brain health coach? So a brain health coach, I, I would assume we don't need to explain what a health coach is. I, okay. I guess we, we'll, we'll talk about health coach. So somebody who tells people to be healthy, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Coaches behavior change to hopefully adhere to one or more lifestyle modification type things. You know, it's really just taking what health coaching and personal training and fitness is and gearing it towards brain health. It's actually quite simple uh, in concept, right? Sure. Uh, in practice, it's, there's also some things that are quite simple and also some things that are quite complex. But, you know, so much of health coaching and fitness has been geared towards talking about metabolism or muscle physiology or uh, cardiovascular health. And, you know, we have this amazing organ called the brain, right? And we have uh, a lot of issues that have to do with the brain, looking at neurodegenerative diseases, mental health issues, and just people who would like to optimize their cognitive functioning on a daily basis. And so if it's so important, and if we'll get into some of the research, and if exercise and various lifestyle changes can be so impactful for it, why have we not connected the dots? So we have the facilitation of exercise, exercise prescription, behavior change, the facilitation of, of, of improved lifestyle behaviors. And you know, those are the things that are most important for brain health. But the people facilitating those things, we're talking about health and fitness professionals, health coaches, physicians, functional medicine doctors, heck, even yoga instructors, really don't connect the dots and don't know how to facilitate brain health specifically like they would a goal of hypertrophy or weight loss. And so I've been in the health and fitness industry for 10 years. I was really drawn towards corrective exercise, kind of a pre-physical therapy. I even became a body worker, um, specifically a rolfer or a structural integrator. Mm -hmm. and I've, but even before that, I was fascinated by neuroscience, studied animal behavior. And the more I started working with people, I noticed these, these issues that I would come to understand as cognitive issues. They couldn't pay attention as well, or they were easily distracted, or they couldn't memorize our routines, and they were impulsive. And just, I want to understand behavior better. Of course, uh, a type of behavior is cognition. Uh, and so I want to understand what cognition is, what are its subdomains, and how can we modify that ultimately to be better or be preventative of it getting worse. And so uh, that's why I got interested in all this stuff is I started in the gym working out in, you know, working in 24 hour fitness uh, in my area and ran my own training business. And once again, I'm, you look at me, I'm not the most ripped guy in the world, but more of the nerdy corrective expert. <laughs> Uh, but I, I believe neuroscience is the next frontier of health. It's, it's not coming up. It, it is now. Yeah. And uh, I think if anything, quarantine has kind of uh, put a spotlight on that. It's not so, yes, everyone's gaining weight perhaps. And, uh, but also mental health is really at the forefront of everyone's pain points right now. And so is uh, cognitive issues. I mean, mm -hmm. fluency you may have noticed has been changed. Maybe your memory is worse. Maybe your attention's worse. Uh, because what? What's going on? I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't paying attention. No, I'm just ranting. <laughs> go, go ahead. Um. Um, so, so what I'm trying to say is think things like weight loss and mobility and uh, hypertrophy are all still very relevant goals, but somehow they don't seem as important anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, 
And of course, uh, there's various ways to get up the mountain there. Uh, certainly the way you achieve brain health, you weight loss and the, the benefits overlap, they're not separate. But I would just say, if you ask people their major, major pain point right now, it likely has to do with the mind or brain more than it does the body. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would agree with you. So, and it's kind of about quantifying things because, you know, me as a fitness expert, it's easy to say like, oh, you're going you're gonna to add muscle, you're going to eat well. And it's, it's easy to see if your body is changing. I think what the hard thing for people is like, how in the hell do you know if your brain's working better, right? It's really hard to sit down unless you're taking some sort of, I don't know, IQ test or you're doing some sort of brain map or which I've done before to see kind of how your brain is changing. But most people don't have access to those kind of high tech devices or even the, the professionals. So how would we know if you're actually getting some sort of benefit out of brain, brain health? And let's backtrack a little bit. You kind of prescribed something for me. And as people know that I'm sort of a human guinea pig here. So I like, I like lifting big weights. I like, you know, being more mobile. I like doing all sorts of different stuff. So you told me to, to change things up, right? So I'm doing a program right now. You're like, okay, what are you not doing? So I did some, uh, some eyes closed training, some yoga, some breathing exercises and really focus on recovery uh, after right. my workouts to see what kind of change I, was, I would experience. And why did you have me do that? So two questions there that uh -huh. involve tangents. Uh, I'll answer both of them quickly. Okay. And into each one. Tangents um, are okay. It's fine. It's a, tangents we gotta, are great. We got it. Uh, who is an ADHD? <laughs> um, so the first thing uh, of assessment, um, and it does tie well into your, your second topic there of why I recommended you do something you're not doing. But the, the, the best way, the most convenient way to assess cognition and your mental health is to see how you feel. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but it's most available to everybody. This awareness of awareness, we call it metacognition, uh, is seeing how you feel. And, and the reason that's important is because it's free, it's accessible, it's available to you 24-7. And we, we will talk about the other tools available and kind of break them into different categories and their different, the different value they each bring. Um, but even if you have a weight loss goal, yes, there's body fat analyzers and calipers and weight scales, and those are readily available. But ultimately, what are people doing? They're looking in the mirror, right? They're subjectively seeing how they feel, looking down, looking at the mirror, looking back at themselves. And that's mostly how people gauge whether they're satisfied or not, right? That you could look the same and then be on a scale and see it's a difference. But I don't think you truly be satisfied until you really see what you want to see. And with mental health, it's there's always a, a goal of feeling the way you used to feel, or you have this ideal uh, or this vision of how you should be feeling, whether it's feeling sharper or more awake, or you, you memorize names and faces easier, or giving that speech or that, that interview is just so much easier for you, or your, your mental health is so much better, you feel more positive, you don't get as triggered as easily. And so really, it's about subjective experience and subjective cognitive performance, subjective mood states. That's really... Even clinicians, they will say like, that's really what matters is using that as your baseline. And so uh, when I gave you some novelty and we'll get into why I recommended some novelty and why that ended up being something like yoga is because you, I didn't send you a cognitive test. I easily could have sent you a computerized cognitive evaluation. Mm -hmm. But I think you, it's not like you said no, it's just like, well, just give me something and I'll see how I feel. Yeah, because that, that's the thing. So me trying all these things out and, you know, season one, as I told you in the pre-interview, I was flying everywhere and I was trying all this stuff out and I had access to all of these things that people didn't have. So I wanted to do something like, okay, what can people quantifiably do right now and just uh, implement uh, into their day? So that's right. kind of why I wanted to try it that way. Yeah. And so what did you do though? Your, your assessment, how you felt. Mm -hmm. and so this yoga and mobility stuff. And I didn't tell you to specifically do yoga, but to ruin the ending, there's three types of exercise modalities that are really important for brain health. Aerobic exercise, resistance training, and neuromotor exercise. We'll define them, we'll break them down, we'll identify their subcategories. The one you were missing was neuromotor exercise. And that specifically, we, we selected a subdomain called mind-body exercise, 
not surprisingly yoga and mobility mm -hmm. and objectively what happened? What did you notice? Yeah. So one, I mean, I, I think for a recovery aspect, and when I say recovery, I think people are going to think body. I'm saying mind right now. So I took it one step further and you didn't tell me to do this, but I was like, okay, let me do things that I'm not doing. So I would do some yoga poses. I would also close my eyes and do some sort of tree pose or, you know, down dog, whatever. And I, I'm not a yogi, but I, I know enough, right? So I would go into a pose, I would kind of close my eyes, and then I would just focus on my breaths. Sometimes I would do some box breathing. Sometimes I would do some left nostril breathing. But really, I would just kind of focus on not focusing on anything else, just where I was in the moment. So I'd go down into a pose. The neighbors probably thought I was crazy after a run or something. And I would just yep. hold it there. And I would just breathe and kind of be one with myself and you know, feel where I'm stretching it, feel where I'm stretching and feel how I'm feeling mentally and physically. And I did find that I calmed down much better. So maybe I was more put into a parasympathetic state uh, much faster from doing that. And I do feel that on days when I really thought about doing this after my workouts, and honestly, it's like some days I didn't do it. But most of the days I did. I'm like, let me take three or four minutes and do this. Um, and do some sort of stretch and hold and relaxation technique. And most of those days I did feel probably a little bit more sharp, but I had to think about, okay, am, am I getting some more stuff done today? Is my, you know, toddler son running around? Is he distracting me enough? Right. Can I, can I refocus? Cause that's my thing. Something shiny is over here and wait a minute. Oh, let me, let me look at the shiny toy. Kind of like your cat. Uh, but then how, how much faster could I redirect that focus and come back to it? That's and, great. And that's on awesome. those days um, that I actually took that into account and did that, I did feel like I was more sharp, if you will. Great. And so the, the hypothesis I might put forward is you, you engage some duration or dosage of mind-body exercise techniques um, and you felt better in terms of refocusing or reallocating your attention and circumstances that may be perceived as stressful or distracting. And therefore that allowed you to go throughout your day in a more efficient manner. And perhaps what was happening in the background there neurologically is that during the mind body exercise, you're practicing the modulation of brain activity in a beneficial manner. Um, we could be specific in saying maybe it's the frontal lobe and maybe it's executive functions, which are responsible for a variety of things, but reallocating attention responding to complex, unpredicted situations, planning and organizing sort of this umbrella term for a variety of different cognitive functions, short-term memory. And you know, yoga and body exercise has been found to improve executive functions, uh, either not, not so much from a structural perspective in the short term, but a, likely in the, in, uh, in the short term, it's a functional change. So function precedes structure. We need more time for the brain to train structurally. Uh, but at a, at a larger level, you probably modulated your brain activity for it to be more efficient, maybe the frontal lobe or uh, the parietal lobe, which also has to do with task switching, and we can get into that stuff. But I might assume that's what happened, mm. right? That's great. That's awesome that you found value in doing that. And you did it simply by checking off the box of neuromotor exercise, specifically the subcheck box of mind-body exercise. You basically self-prescribed that. I didn't really tell you to do a whole lot more. Mm. You self-organized within that and found it to be valuable, which likely increases the chances you'll do it again. Right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been doing it for several weeks now. Uh, and I try to, I mean, I try to incorporate them all in one. I want to do some sort of stretch and then close my eyes and then focus on, on the breath work. Uh, so I sort of shut everything out, but I would at least try to hit one out of them, you know, every, That's great. Thing, every single time, even if it was, one minute. Okay. Let me just slow down the breathing now and then go back inside and, you know, be, and be about my day. But I did find uh, a lot of, a lot of benefit from doing that. And I, I think that's something that people kind of struggle with because I, I, you know, like you said, you look in the mirror and then you can see that your abs are coming in, your arms are better, you lost some weight or whatever it is. But why do you feel like people don't actually take into account working their brain or specifically exercise and 
you know, the functioning uh, of our brain. Like people aren't really focusing on that. I mean, you're obviously an, an expert in that, but we don't ever hear about this. Even in mainstream, people aren't really talking about brain health and then incorporating it with exercise. Right. Yeah, I think there's a variety of reasons is, is uh, I, I think everyone would agree that exercise makes them feel better, mm -hmm. right? Physically, mentally, and even if they can't put a name to it cognitively. And cognition, just to describe it or define it, is a set of mental functions that, to put it simplistically, allows you to interact with the world in your internal world as well. So the internal and external, uh, and interact with them and go about your business using these mental functions. Things like attention, memory, reaction time, planning, organizing, memory, different types of memory. And so cognition is, is really these mental functions that just allow you to go about the world and acquire knowledge and thought and interpret things and process sensory information. And so people are, even if they can't define it or, or place their, their finger on it without facilitation accurately, they're aware of how they feel. If you woke up from a poor night of sleep, how do you feel, right? Let's give some examples from your perspective, what you think cognitively might happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm pretty groggy, often cranky, a little bit of an asshole, um, often- Less emotional regulation. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, even though it's quite a, a generalized term that right. there's controversy around brain fog, you don't pay attention as much, there, you maybe don't memorize as well, you have reduced task switching, you can't divide your attention between things as well. So these are the types of examples that you might expect from a suboptimal lifestyle behavior of not sleeping as well. So when people stop exercising, they will probably feel worse. And also there's the mental health side of things too. Mm -hmm. Things exacerbated, they might be more uh, prone to depressive or anxious symptoms, maybe both. Um, and, and all of those things could ensue. So I think people do connect the dots between exercise and, and cognitive and, and mental health. Uh, it's just not talked about a lot. And I think it's not talked about a lot for various reasons. Um, I think for brain health, nutrition is usually put at the forefront mm -hmm. because I think it's, I have some conspiracy ideas there with supplementation pills. Sure, sure. I, think, I think people have a really like big appetite for nutrition information, I suppose, pun intended. There's just not a lot of, in, like any expert, it doesn't matter if they're a chiropractor, personal trainer, uh, a doctor of any kind, a PhD that studies the spleen or uh, studies the eyes or studies anything will just talk about nutrition. I think it's so accessible that any expertise can access it and become an expert and authority talking about nutrition. There's not a lot of people talking about exercise because I think it's not as convenient and it's actually quite difficult to understand the literature to a degree because the, the, the terms around cognition and the interventions they're using can be a little bit confusing. You really need to understand the research. You need to have good research literacy to really unpack it and understand what's going on. Um, and also I think people are just okay with sort of generally understanding it. So the, the popular media will say exercise improves mental health. Great. Uh, exercise releases BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Exercise improves the size of your hippocampus. Exercise increases blood flow to the brain. And it will have these kind of tangential catchphrases and people are satisfied with that. Hmm. Um, but however, with nutrition, we go into it in detail, like really go into it in detail. Oh, and exercise is also just good for your brain. Right. Like it's generalized, right? So I'm not sure exactly why not as specifically addressed as nutrition is or popularly addressed. But when I see that dementia is one of the biggest uh, encroaching epidemics of our time, uh, worldwide, uh, neurodegenerative diseases are exponentially increasing partially because of population size and other epidemiological factors. And the World Health Organization, you know, love them or hate them, they do a lot of rigorous research on these lifestyle interventions that would slow it and exercise is at the top of the list. So regardless of the reasons, uh, it's just not talked about enough. I see mm -hmm. it as a crime that people are not talking about exercise in a specific manner. They're only talking about it in a generalized manner when we have these problems that are exponentially increasing both mental health and, and neurodegenerative diseases and cognitive health. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, no, it, I, it, it yeah. does. And people, I mean, I, I get this all the time. They're like, I mean, even my dad texted me a couple of weeks ago, right? And he, um, and I've got a bunch of, certifications and stuff behind my name. And one I'm um, getting certified now is a certified stress management coach. 
and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he tests me. He's like, hey, have you found any supplements or anything that help with stress? And it's just like, I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's what we always go to, right? It's always like, what pill can we pop? Whether it's like what I passive, What's the passive intervention versus the active intervention, right. which exercise is one of them. Because it's too hard, right? You know, it's, it's too hard for people. And my dad is actually pretty active and I've sent him programs and stuff. But I, I just that, that was kind of a, a blanket statement for how most of the country, most of the world thinks about things. They're like, okay, why don't we take this? nootropic or you know beat or they you know some exogenous ketones to, to help with that you know bdnf or right. also all sorts of different things and we don't think about hey wait a minute why can't we just work out or what tools can we do to yeah help and exercise increase? requires to your point volitional effort mm-hmm. and I think evolutionarily we want to seek to conserve energy we want to go about the most efficient way of expending that energy and exercise might seem counterintuitive that evolutionary need, perhaps. And I think there's some debate to that too, but it's convenient to, to look at that theory, right? And I, it's quite possible that exercise goes against it, but the, the benefit is that we as humans have this like really evolved frontal lobe that's quite large, a brain that's quite large. And within that, we have these executive functions that I mentioned earlier, the ability to self-monitor and self-regulate and manage emotions and manage our attention and short-term memory and plan and organize and reason and make decisions. And since we have that as humans, we can decide to expend that volitional effort to do something that is good for us, right? And ironically, exercise can improve those, those, those cognitive functions and executive functions and increase the likelihood we're gonna do it again. So it's actually this, this cycle that's fortuitous, but it can also go the other way, right? If you exercise and we can decrease cognitive function, that can go kind of this downward spiral. So this is why behavior change, I think, is so important because it allows you, ideally with a health coach or a health and fitness professional or a medical professional, to sort of outsource this decision-making to someone else to help you. Uh, It's almost like you're compensating temporarily for those potential deficits in executive functioning to allow you and facilitate the opportunity to engage in health behaviors like exercise, but it requires more effort. And coaching, uh, someone described described coaching as the process of self-facilitating, self-directed neuroplasticity. And I love that definition because you are helping someone change their own brain, both in the short term and the long term. That's what coaching is. So when we talk about health coaching, uh, specifically brain health coaching, we are facilitating the process of self-directed neuroplasticity, literally, so that we can help people achieve better brain health over the long span. Oh, that's cool. Now, so when, when you're working with somebody, right, is, and you're trying to uh, help them you know, gain more cognition or memory, like what different ways of, of exercise like, are you prescribing for them? How, how do you go about it? If somebody's like, hey, right. I so I want brain to brain fog, whatever. Uh, reach, sure. And I want to reach back to your first question about how to assess it. I don't want to forget about that mm-hmm. there. We did promise we'd cover that. So there's various ways to assess it. I think we've covered subjective experience. Uh, of this. And when we talk to people, when I talk to people, I just want to hear what are your goals? What are your pain points? What do you struggle with cognitively and mentally? Just let them kind of self-organize and tell me what comes to mind because I think there's a lot of value in that sort of open-ended questioning and, you know, kind of taking some of the the lessons learned from health coaching and motivational interviewing and other behavior change uh, principles and letting people express what what is stopping them from being more human, <laughs> enjoying that experience, right? And I just want to hear what that is. Mm-hmm. There we can apply questionnaires, uh, such as kind of failure questionnaires or memory functioning questionnaires, some of which have been validated, some have, been not, have not been validated. And with those questionnaires, I can get scores and help them sort of refine and kind of question their experience a bit more. It's like, oh, is this what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing I'm struggling with. And then the thing above that could be computerized cognitive testing, where I can send you a cognitive test where you can take, they, they feel like games, but they're tasks that, are, that have normative data for age and gender, and they're in different domains of cognition, attention, short-term memory, visuospatial working memory, reaction time, impulse control. And we can look at that and I can say, oh, potentially this area is average or below average. Does that match your real world experience? And they say, oh yeah, I, I really suck at directions. Or when I learn a choreography, I can never really remember it. Like, okay, great, let's hook on to that, right? And if we have the access or if we have the leisure of neuroimaging, uh, well, 
before I get to neuroimaging, even above computerized cognitive testing, there's a field of neuropsychology where they are truly the clinicians in assessing cognition with pencil and paper tests, maybe computerized tests. That, that referral should be there. But if it's not covered by insurance, it can be quite expensive, but it's recommended that if you're going to get a clinical diagnosis or clinical neuropsychological testing, you go to a neuropsychologist, ideally. Um, what Then for neuroimaging, there's a couple different types. There's functional neuroimaging and there's structural neuroimaging. Functional neuroimaging, you mentioned quantitative EEG or EEG, or EEG which involves electrodes with gel or saline or dry electrodes that can pick up brain activity on the cortical surface of the brain. Um, and that can, you know, you can compare uh, to, your norm to a normative database of is this normal activity, is it too excessive or is it too low in certain brain regions. You can look at that during a task, looking at event-related event potentials or ERP or evoke-related potentials. Uh, and so you can look at the brain activity under a task condition. There's also what's called FNIRS, uh, which looks at brain blood flow in real time, hmm. uh, spectroscopy, if you will. But then there's, of course, structural brain imaging like MRI, volumetric MRI, to see the size of different brain structures of the brain as a whole in relevance to normative data. There's functional MRI, which are very unlikely to access unless you're in a research study because it's very expensive. Um, that looks at brain activity in an MRI and functional connectivity and things of that regard. Then there's things like PET scans, which are unlikely to get unless you're getting an Alzheimer's disease workup and diagnosis, which injects a radioactive tracer into your brain and looks at the metabolic uptake in the brain. So that's kind of the spectrum of brain assessment tools. Um, the most accessible one is the subjective experience, followed by the questionnaires, followed by computerized cognitive testing. So, uh, and of course, there's more indirect measures like uh, things that are correlated to brain health, looking at blood and vitamin D and B12 levels and homocysteine and things of that regard, cholesterol, blood pressure, sleep, activity, all these sort of biometrics and biological factors. So there it is. That, that's sort of the, the <laughs> uh, sort of, uh, and the more we incorporate the richer yeah. the data set and the more specific we can be. And I really just try to meet people where they're at based on their preferences, how deep they want to go, how much they can afford things, uh, you know, so on and so forth. What, what do they have access to? Is there a clinical team already in place or that could be in place? What insurance do they have? So that's what I'm looking at in, in trying to quickly discern where can I direct these people to get more information? And yeah. it can be one or more of those things. Yeah, I mean, uh, that makes a ton of sense because you can easily get into the weeds with this stuff. And, you know, obviously you talked about nutrition, but people are like, like uh, okay, what's happening with your sleep? What's happening with your supplements? What's happening with your exercise? And then people are like, oh my God, I need to do all of this stuff to help my brain. I just it thought, yeah, it certainly can get to that point. So and we don't want our intake process to be burdensome. So that's when I say I meet people where they're at. Yeah. If they want that, I will meet them there. Most right. people say they want everything, but that's not the reality. Yeah, no. They, they, this like fetishization of, they're, they're, they're fetishizing like medicine and science and neuroscience because people like worship this stuff, right? Neuroscience, people worship neuroscientists and that's also part of the problem. It's like, it's an organ. Let's not give everything to neuroscience. It's right. there's a great book about this called The Cerebral Mystique. And that's why I think it's so tempting for certain neuroscientists to come forward and achieve this, this fame and stuff like that. And I, I, I really don't know about that stuff, but this, this, this cerebral mystique, we're so fascinated and so obsessed with the brain that we want to freeze that organ and no other organ when we die so that maybe in the future we can reinstall it into a cybernetic or <laughs> I mean, we don't talk about the spleen that way, right? No one's going to worship a spleen doctor, freeze their spleen, you know, just, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. We don't talk about the spleen. As much as I love neuroscience, <laughs> it's endlessly fascinating. I also criticize it. And, you know, it can be, I, I think a lot of neuroscience experts have come to the forefront and it's kind of like accommodating this egocentric, narcissistic sort of persona of like, I am God. It's right. like, let's look at brain health equally to the way we look at other aspects of yeah. health. then but equal to and often forgotten and often not talked about. That's sort of how I think. Very, very fair. Okay. All right, so- Sorry, what, second, what, second rant of the-, uh, of the Hey, check, check off the rant, that's pretty good. There, there might be a highlight in the podcast from that one. Now, <laughs> it's, it's probably the neuroscientist God one. So uh, w people, when, they, when they're coming to you, let's just, let's just talk about like- Oh yes, that, the intake th process. Yeah, th things that, right. you know, that the intake process and then the things that they can implement like, 
day one, I mean, you talked about the different modalities of exercise and how they could potentially affect our brains in different ways. What are some tangible right. things that people can do? Um, you know, if they're not, if they don't really want to get completely into the weeds and go with a full body. So and I've, I've assessed their goals. Uh, let, let's say I've never interviewed this person mm -hmm. listening to this podcast, right? Uh, there, as I alluded to, there's three different types of exercise, aerobic training, resistance training, and neuromotor or skill-based training. Ideally, we're checking off all three of those boxes. Some people are at the place where they just need to get more physical activity. They're not at the place where they're ready to vary their modalities. They're like, why would I do all three when I can barely do one, right? right? That's the first step, is we wanna get people towards the sort of the minimum. Now, there is no real minimum. So everyone would agree, even experts would say that something's better than nothing. But we'd like to be more measurable than that. And so there's something called the, excuse me, there's something called the Physical Activity Guidelines for American Second Edition. And it's, you know, put out in collaboration with the American College of Sports Medicine or ACSM. And you've probably heard this one, Joey, but people should do 150 minutes to moderate vigorous exercise, aerobic exercise per week. In other words, two and a half hours or more uh, of moderate to vigorous aerobic exercise. Now, we might roll our eyes at that as fitness professionals and say, well, that's quite general. That's not very sexy. And that's not, you know, there's a lot more to fitness and health than that. And that is true but we have to recognize the majority of the world is not there. So I think one of the things we can do as health and fitness professionals and is just you know, generally uh, interested, individuals interested in health is to facilitate that for ourselves and also for others. Because sometimes when we try to make it so complicated, we might feel like a failure if we're not hitting what we might determine to be the ideal. That's not true. Mm. As long as we're getting at least 150 minutes a week of exercise at a moderate to vigorous intensity, you're good, but we could be better, right? But that we, we think that's good enough. I say that because most people aren't there. I'm mostly uh, consulting individuals such as older adults that maybe have been sedentary most of their life and they're walking, but they're not exercising a high enough intensity. And sometimes from a behavioral economic standpoint, it can take a lot to get there, but it's the most important thing to do. What we can do then is start to vary intensity or duration. Uh, it doesn't mean intensity, higher intensity is always better, it doesn't mean longer duration or more minutes of exercise is always better, but it's 150 to 300 minutes, right? So sometimes if we just kind of build upon that set of behaviors. If we have, let's assume we've established some sort of baseline of this 150 minutes, the makeup of that 150 minutes can be modified and played with a little bit. So that's why I present these different factors of, or these modalities of aerobic exercise, resistance training, and neuromotor training. And I can describe why we do that from a brain health perspective. But before I do, perhaps it's helpful to describe the shared and generalized mechanisms of exercise in the brain. Would mm -hmm. you go there? Yeah, let's go there. All right, let's do it. Let's dive in. So um, the, the benefits of exercise in the brain, sorry, to help us <laughs> it's, spit out your- It's, it's good. I have okay. a little less coffee left right now, so we're okay. All right. I almost look like I made you spit your... It was, it was close. It was close. Okay. I, I'll I, try I to do I that. <laughs> <laughs> so the generalized benefits of exercise, exercise on the brain, there's, there's many. So we like to characterize it into three different levels. There's the micro level where things happen at the very small level that you need a microscope or uh, a neuroscience lab to really look at and understand. There's the macro level in which neuroimaging can help us image the brain at the macro level. And then there's the behavioral level, which includes mood and cognition. So we talked about those three levels in one way or another. The behavioral level includes these cognitive abilities like attention, memory, executive functioning, processing speed, as well as mood. And so that's the one that you can kind of feel, right? You can also quantify it through questionnaires and things like that and test it through cognitive testing. Um, but that's the, the one that we're gonna feel the most. We know that exercise improves cognition and improves mood. And I'm gonna contradict myself because we do need more research on the specifics of the exercise prescription, but it, research is showing that as long as you're doing something, you're gonna improve cognition and mood, right? So as long as you're doing something, we're good. But researchers, including myself, uh, not that I'm more on the research side, I'm kind of trying to bridge the, the practical with the research, but um, we're interested in what the differential effects of different types of exercise prescriptions are, right? So does this type of exercise prescription improve memory more than this one or anxiety more than this one? And so more research is done there. We'll get into that to a degree. That's the behavioral level. 
at the micro level, we have things that really has the sex appeal for generalized media, which is the neurotransmitters, the neurons, the molecules, the proteins, the hormones, and all of that's super fascinating, right? So let's start with this category of growth factors. Growth factors are hormones, proteins, molecules that are released by muscle, the cardiovascular system, maybe facilitated that naturally occur in the brain. It includes things like brain-derived neurotrophic factor or BDNF, another protein that's sort of worship for being miracle growth of the brain, and that is sort of popularized by Dr. Rady in his book, Spark. Um, there's VEGF, vascular endothelial growth factor, that basically tells the brain, hey, grow more blood vessels and capillaries because we need more blood. We need more nutrients. We need more oxygen. There's irisin, which is a muscle, or it's a, it's a myokine, uh, which is a, a growth factor that's released from muscle tissue that crosses the blood-brain barrier and also tells the brain to grow and function better. Uh, there's IGF-1, or insulin-like growth factor. There's chiurinine. So we could like go through all of these, this alphabet soup of growth factors that media and certain scientists like to like nitpick and isolate and then glorify, and all of them are awesome. And in fact, certain types of exercise might facilitate certain growth factors over others. So for example, aerobic exercise might facilitate more VEGF, which is kind of more of a cardiovascular response in the brain, whereas resistance training might facilitate more irisin, which is released from muscle tissue. That makes sense. That makes sense that a more cardiovascular heavy modality releases more of a cardiovascular specific growth factor and muscle training or resistance training releases a muscle specific growth factor. That makes sense, right? And so that's one of the rationales for having a variety of these things. Then there's the, the neurons and facilitating the, the creation of new brain cells, a process called neurogenesis, uh, also facilitating the connections between those brain cells, synaptogenesis. All of that is occurring at the micro level. Oh, don't forget the neurotransmitters, the dopamine, the oxytocin, the anandamide, the serotonin, the acetylcholine, right? And all of those are released from most types of exercise. And similar to the growth factors, we assume that maybe certain types of exercise might emphasize, uh, not exclusively release, but maybe turn up the volume knob more or less on certain neurotransmitters depending on the experience, depending on the modality. So that's all that stuff at the micro level. And all of it's dope. All of it's great. We love it, <laughs> right? The last one's the macro level. And the macro level is changes in brain structure or function. And that can occur at a brain region volume. For example, higher levels of cardiorespiratory fitness and more exercise has been correlated with larger uh, gray matter volume or white matter integrity in the brain. Uh, both of those, in fact. Uh, large, you know, slowing the decline of brain volume, but also brain regions may be specifically affected. For example, the hippocampus, an area of the brain responsible for learning and memory that is very sensitive to lifestyle and age-related memory changes, uh, increases in size with aerobic exercise. We've heard that before. Uh, resistance training, there's a systematic review showing the frontal lobes both structurally and functionally improve with resistance training. It doesn't mean those are exclusive. It doesn't mean resistance training only affects the frontal lobe and uh, aerobic training only affects the hippocampus. In fact, resistance training has been found to affect the hippocampus and aerobic training has been found to affect the frontal lobe. But the volume knob, the emphasis might be different with these domains. And then we have like the cerebellum and the basal ganglia and those seem to be sensitive to uh, motor exercises or this neuromotor category, skill-based coordinative exercises, proprioceptive inputs, things like that. And it doesn't mean that aerobic training hasn't been found to improve volume or protect those areas, but specifically neuromotor training seems to have this very enhanced effect in those regions. And so we're starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together from a micro perspective, from a behavioral perspective and a macro perspective that, hey, these exercise generally does good stuff for all of this, but different modalities probably, and there's research to support this, modulate the volume knobs of those different effects. Therefore, why don't we want all of it? Right. Why, wouldn't we want, why would you say, you know, I've woken up this morning, I've decided I don't want any VEGF, I only want BDNF, right? Or I don't want my hippocampus, I just want my cerebellum. No, without imaging or without, I mean, the, the, the goal is to get there actually, to have precision medicine where we can get all of this stuff and say, look, your hippocampus is great, your frontal lobe is great, your you know, BDNF is great, but your cerebellum, it, it's actually below the average. Are you doing anything 
for like motor fitness oriented. Oh, I'm only doing aerobic and resistance training. Oh, let's take up dance. Let's take up tennis. And that's what we do at the Pacific Brain Health Center where I work, where we have the leisure of having this information is we can be more precise. So that's like precision recommendations of exercise for brain health adaptations, right? That's what we hope. But that should give you an idea of how exercise can generally, and in some cases specifically affect the brain. And so going back to it, that is why I simplify it. We want three types of exercise mm -hmm. without aerobic resistance and neuromotor. And now that we understand the neurobiology of it, we have a greater appreciation for why we probably want all three. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot. That was good though. That was, that was a good on point tangent, my friend. Nice work. Well, yeah. And it's helpful to structure that information. Yeah. Now it can get more specific than that because there's different types of aerobic training. There's different types of resistance. Mm -hmm. There's different types of coordinative and, and neuromotor training. Going back to those, what's recommended, like what, what is recommended for people to slow cognitive decline and improve brain health. We talked about 150 minutes, 300 minutes. There's additional benefits for strength training um, from those recommendations. Two to three times a week is recommended. Um, it's debated if three times a week is better for two for the brain, but if you can do three times, do it. And then neuromotor training. And neuromotor training is one that people really don't talk about. Um, like, have you ever heard that used in the fitness industry, neuromotor training? Yeah, no. It's really not discussed. And so that's why I like talking about that one more, not because it's more important, but because people just don't talk about it as much. And so neuromotor training includes hand-eye, foot-eye, coordinative, skill-based, uh, proprioceptive exercises that can include two specific subcategories. The first one's the mind-body exercise. That includes the yoga, the tai chi, the pilates, the qigong, the mindful. And it doesn't mean that those things aren't metabolic because there's so many variations of those things that become metabolic. And it just means that there's a mind-body component there. And we could define that further if needed. But then there's this other category of what I call more metabolically challenging skill-based exercise. It's not to say mind-body isn't uh, metabolically challenging or skill-based, it is. But it includes the dance, the sports, the martial arts, right? And you can see why I try to separate those two. And so people should be engaging in one or both of those. And we could assume that there's different effects and different vagal, you know, vagal interactions and uh, different modifications of the autonomic nervous system. So you self-selected yoga and breathing and eyes closed stuff over something like sports, dance, or martial arts, probably for a reason, right? Probably because the majority of your exercise program is associated with sympathetic tone. Mm -hmm. And I have to assume that you chose that that pathway to self-regulate and you even gave that example right so yep. uh, does that make sense yeah no it does i mean i myself i you know always go towards you know li lifting weights and you know doing more uh, athletic things and when i was you know playing hockey in college i, right. got, I got a lot of that hand-eye you know coordination uh stuff as well but yeah i try to prescribe myself what i'm not doing so that was definitely perfect I, I go about this the same way yeah. right and we could so that was talking about the modalities but we could be specific uh within those modalities so something that we could theorize that is helpful for brain health and cognition is novelty and we look at the science of skill learning we look at the cognitive phase of motor learning the associative phase of motor learning and the automatic phase of motor learning and when i talk to people uh, that maybe have had an exercise program, I asked them about it. And very commonly what they do is I've been doing the same routine for X amount of years. And that's great because we like consistency, we like lifelong physical activity, but what is the problem within that from a, a cognitive perspective? There is no volitional thought. There is no cognitive demands. There's no skill that's being learned that's novel. And one of the things we're interested in is, is boosting brain health. And there's this hypothesis called cognitive reserve where modifiable health factors and level of education, social support and positive affect, and all of these things go into building greater cognitive reserve, which is like your brain's gas tank over the lifespan. And if we look at what goes into cognitive reserve, yes, of course, exercise is part of that, but so is cognitive demands. So is novel experiences, stimulating activities. So if we were to theorize how to make exercise a, a bigger dose response for brain health, specifically cognition, what if our exercise included cognitively stimulating activities and it was novel and it was stimulating and maybe on top of that, it was social. And that is much more potent than just a mindless bike ride 
on a, on a stationary bike, right? Yeah. That sounds like a more potent pill, a uh, potent neuropoly pill for the brain uh, because exercise has been called a poly pill because it can do so much. The benefit is it has all these different variables that we can tweak, so we should do that for brain health. So if we look at that, if we look at having novel experiences as an acute variable, not just sets, not just reps, not just intensity, but novelty, variability, and also maybe some social contact, the environment that we're in, these are acute variables as well. It's not just about sets and reps. These are acute variables that we should be looking at to modify within these modalities. Hmm. So would you, if you're going to give some general advice for people, for them to look at what they're doing for their, hopefully they're exercising, getting that 150 minutes at least. If, you look if at you're not, just make your priority to get there. Okay. Get there in the most enjoyable and sustainable manner. Right. You might find that you are not exercising or you're walking and you heard that skill-based or neuromotor exercise is beneficial. You realize that you haven't danced in 10 years and you loved it. You didn't know that was metabolically valuable. You didn't know that was neurologically valuable. Now that you know the benefits, you adopted it and look at that, you're there. Nice. So is there a way for people to incorporate what they're doing now uh, and getting the other, other factors? So say somebody just loves going on walks and that's all they want to do is go on walks. Is there, some, is there some other way while they're going on a walk that they can actually work different parts of their brain? I mean, juggle while they're walking something? Well, let's, let's, let's be general. Let, uh, getting into dual tasking, I think is helpful, but perhaps we don't want to say like, we'll get into dual tasking in a bit perhaps. Um, but dual tasking naturally occurs in these neuromotor categories. If we wanted to take the walk, and we wanted to progress that physically and or cognitively, can we walk faster? Can we walk longer? Can we walk in a hit training format where we walk fast for a minute and slow for a minute? Can we walk in a different environment? Can we walk in a way where you have to navigate a new environment? Can we go from the street to the trail and have to respond to environments and different stimuli within the, the, the trail, right? Can we walk with a person? Can we be talking with that person? You know, uh, can, we, can we progress the walking to jogging? Uh, and, and that's sort of, we, we, we have different examples of yeah. and physical progressions and regressions there. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no right answer, right? Yeah. There's no right answer. I think we want to give as many options. It's like the restaurant, give people the menu, you pick what you like, it's all going to be good. Uh, and we, we hope that you're self-selecting the thing that's most enjoyable and sustainable for you. Okay. That makes sense. Now, what about, what about games and apps and all sorts of different things? I mean, I know there's this stuff coming out, right? Uh, wh oh, what, are, what are you excited about where you feel like, okay, this actually has some brain health. Benefits? Right. I'm so glad you brought it up. So I'm a huge nerd. Uh, what I didn't get into is I've been playing video games my whole life. I was very fat as a kid. I had a concussion. The way I lost weight and rehab my concussion was a game called dance dance revolution. Yes. <laughs> I remember this, yes. Did you play it? I, I didn't. Well, I mean, I think I tried it in the arcade before, but I was more of like the, the, the hockey guy, the Tiger Woods guy, the, the blood killing. All right. I was the nerd that, that did your homework. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I would go home and I wasn't good at any sports. I was the fattest kid, like second to last of the mile run. And so I needed something that made me feel athletic that I could feel good about, that was fun, that was a game so I could be motivated. And that for, the, for me, that was Dance Dance Revolution. Mm. Then, you know, fast forward, we had the Nintendo Wii, which was wildly popular. And now, you know, that whole category is called extra gaming, so active video games. So I'm still a huge gamer to this day. And at the Pacific Brain Health, we actually study the effects of extra games in older adults with and without cognitive issues. So basically, I play games with your grandma to see if I can prevent dementia. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's a dream job for me to be able to do that. And we're also carrying out research of, you know, what happens when we combine a little cycling unit with an iPad game that has a memory demand. And we're showing that uh, with our research partners that this stuff does make an impact on cognition. Mm -hmm. So all the principles we've been talking about from that neuromotor category, if you had a vitamin D deficiency in your diet, you would take a supplement. For us, we're looking at, okay, these people have a physical uh, – how do I say this? They're not exercising as much and they're not getting a lot of cognitive stimuli. Maybe they're retired. They have a cognitive deficit. How do we supplement that? And digital therapeutics, uh, can, this is a way we can supplement it. In fact, a company called Achilli, um, and, and this comes from Dr. Adam Ghazali, who's like the badass in this area, who has been researching games for health and games as medicine for many, many years. Uh, one of their companies, spinoff companies, Achilli, just released, uh, or the FDA just approved 
this prescriptive video game for ADHD. It can literally be prescribed huh. in place or in addition to medication. Like that is the power of this stuff. So we look at that and what is available now? Well, of course you have the Dance Dance Revolutions, which is a little bit harder to access now, the Nintendo Wii, which is a little older, but still being used in rehabilitative and clinical settings or senior living facilities. What I'm excited about right now is virtual reality. So for example, Facebook has purchased this company Oculus and they're trying to make virtual reality accessible for all. I'm sure they're tracking all our data. I'm sure it's sinister, but it's really fun. And so there's this thing called the Oculus Quest and they just came out with the second one. It's very accessible. It's about 300 bucks. This is not an advertisement, but if you're on it, I will play you. And so there's games within the Oculus Quest and the Oculus Quest 2 that are physically demanding and cognitively demanding. One of the ones that I'm playing now and frequently is Supernatural VR, which is an amazing experience. You're, on the, you're floating on a yoga mat in these 360 degree natural environments from popular places all over the world, from New Guinea to Iceland to Hawaii. And you have these instructors kind of Peloton style in front of you telling you what you're gonna be doing. You're playing these games to really popular music and what you're doing, you have a black bat and a gray bat and you have these targets that are pointing in different directions and you have to match the bat to the target as fast as possible. And you're, you feel like Ninja Beyonce and I'm here I am in my underwear in my living room, like, yeah, ludicrous, just like smashing these targets that are mapped by professional choreographers. So there's obviously cognitive and physical demand in there. And even though my fiance is a, a Zumba instructor and I love the concepts of dance, I just don't opt in to dance on a computer or a TV screen uh, I don't just like, yeah, I'm going to put music on and feel my body. I'm not just one of those people, right. but I love this game. And so it's like got the cognitive and physical demands of dance and I'm sweating and I'm cognitively, you know, I'm cognitively ended there. And so I think that's the future is these, these extra games, whether it be from the tablet and app, um, uh, virtual reality, like that's the stuff I'm actively doing and trying to study and partner with companies to get that stuff out there. I want to get people playing more video games for health benefits. Mm -hmm. So the for good movement or the games for health movement, that's what gets me really stoked. And the benefit of that is, you know, you, you could say, oh, that's virtual, it's EMFs, you're gonna melt your brain, you're gonna have cancer in your brain in two years. I, I don't think that's true. I, I think some of the EMF uh, hype is, is, yes, I think it's to be concerned about, the mind control, like I'm not into any of those conspiracies. Right. I, believe that you know like can we can we all agree that cell phones have generally been helpful for society <laughs> they haven't killed anybody directly yeah, yeah, yet yeah. so most emerging technologies are not that harmful they're helpful to society um and so i believe that leveraging technology to be uh helpful for cognition and physical health is it makes sense so that's what i get excited about yeah that's good i mean look turn your cell phone on speaker or you, you know talk with it a couple inches away from your head you'll be all right i'm sure yeah there's a lot of experts talking about how to reduce emfs and um you know it, it's great it's great but uh you know that i just look at digital therapeutics and i look at it in that way and i see it as helpful especially when we're in quarantine we can't go outside as much the gym we can't be in that class how do we replace that and give this sense of depth and immersion and enjoyment and i do believe that virtual there are virtual solutions look at what's happening to the fitness industry mm -hmm. apple this connected in-home fitness stuff lots of videos that is all virtual we consider that to be good right? right everyone's fitness business has pivoted to be virtual so i look at virtual reality and and apps and things like that to be the next step and then there's other connected in-home fitness solutions yes peloton is there and it has its aerobic stimulus and you have distance training that you can do and you have to pay attention to your instructor. But I wouldn't say it's turned all the way up on that cognitive demand, but there's other connected in-home fitness stuff that uh, like uh, Lightboxer, which has a grouping of lights and you have to punch it to the rhythm and it's more cognitively demanding. So if you just look at that skill-based or that neuromotor category, there are virtual solutions to get that or check that box off, right? And so that's what I and the, the, the value of the virtual is that you can manipulate the stimuli so well that maybe in the future, we could be very specific to the domains of cognition that we're targeting. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, so I, I took a trip last year to IMG Academy in Florida, which is, there you go. Like, yeah. which is crazy. I mean, anybody look up IMG Academy. It's basically you're going to high school to play sports, but they, they 
they look at everything and they're sponsored by Gatorade. And so you go into this massive gym, but they also have like their, I don't know what they call it, their brain lab. Their cognitive performance center. Yeah. Right. So you go in there and they're, they're literally, I mean, they're thinking about it. If you can recognize a play that split second faster, if if you, if you can recognize what's, what's happening in in your own sport, your own modality. So they've got these light up boards and everything else where they're either. That's exactly what we do in our same thing in our center, except for older adults. So there's, there's technologies that are a little bit pricier that only mm-hmm. clinics and teams could really afford, like SmartFit, FitLight. But there's also um, different things such as softwares that you can download. So NeuroTracker is a game where there's eight balls on the screen. You wear 3D glasses or you can do in 2D. You can download it and shift around really fast. And it's about multiple object tracking in three dimensions. And some of it's been correlated to improve driving performance in seniors, to improve athletic performance in athletes, to all sorts of stuff, uh, concussion rehab, injury prevention. And so you can sign up for that now, NeuroTracker X. You Google it, you can download it, pay for it yearly, just like you would a brain game app. But it's theoretically more ecologically valid because it's 3D, lots of visual perceptual processing. You could do it while you're moving on the exercise bike, doing body weight movements. There's also an app called Switched On, and Switched On is an amazing app. It's, it's, very, it's free to download. There's also some premium features that are very low cost. You can select different stimuli like colors, arrows, numbers that randomize and show on your phone. And you can map when I see red, I do this. When I see blue, I do this. When I see that arrow, I move in the opposite direction. There's soon to be audio stimuli. So you can put it in your, your headphones or your earbuds and listen to it as you're lunging in different directions. Uh, there's an, another app called Clock Yourself, which is uh, basically this clock format and you push a button to have it go at a certain speed and it's going 12, six, and you're lunging or stepping or jumping or balancing or reaching in these different directions. And so there's accessible ways to get this combined cognitive physical training. And of course it depends upon, is it a child? Is it an athlete? Is it an older adult? Is it you? And I think the goals are going to be different. The research available is different, but we consider it to be helpful because everybody has a brain that is connected to the body. And perhaps we evolve this way. Uh, to use our brain and body simultaneously. So we would assume, and some research is showing this in certain populations better than others, that this combined approach is helpful. So what you described at IMG Academy, specifically for athletes, some of the uh, technology names I listed off are likely to be present there. We also have a brain gym, but it's for older adults in a clinical setting, whereas IMG is more of an athletic setting. Mm -hmm. Virtual reality and the apps I'm sort of describing are available to people everywhere, right? So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, no, that's really cool. All right, man. So is there anything else um, you want to get across to anybody uh, listening right now? Uh, anything that you uh, haven't tapped on? Uh, I think we've, we've gotten the message across. <laughs> we, 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 look, uh, workout, uh, you know, to find that modality that you're not doing, that, that'll help your brain. Yeah, exercise, get to those 150 minutes in some way that's enjoyable, sustainable help other people do it, do it with other people. And then looking at the aerobic, the resistance and the skill, which one are you not doing? Do more of that. If you're doing all three or you're only doing two and you're not really willing to add the other one, look within what you're already doing and see what opportunities for variability, what the opportunities for variability are, what the opportunities for novelty are, how can you incorporate more skill demands? Can you go from the exercise machine to more functional three-dimensional movements that require choreography and coordination and stuff like that? So we're going to be general with those recommendations so people can self-organize and self-prescribe and self-select what they feel is most beneficial and then see how it makes you feel cognitively, behaviorally. If you have the leisure to go get a brain scan, after great. Um, if you have the leisure to get a cognitive test before and after great. Um, and so my goal is to educate the public on these things, but also my, uh, I'm kind of resisting the write a book, do a Ted talk for the general population thing and really focusing on training and educating health and fitness professionals such as yourself, Joey. So the, the way I started to do that, um, because, you know, following my path, I was having to go everywhere to academia and research and kind of grabbing for all these things to piece it together. But I created a course called the Brain Health Trainer Course, which is for health fitness professionals. Doctors have taken it. Nurses have taken it. Occupational therapists have taken it. But it's primarily geared towards health and fitness professionals. Um, and the Brain Health Trainer Course is a 10-hour online course that I have really poured my heart and soul into to teach about the basics of neuroscience, the, the science that we sort of summarized today, and then what to do about it with your clients uh, and with your population, maybe even your patients. And so that's available. If people want to check that out, they can go to brainhealthtrainer.com, 
www.brainhealthtrainer.com. And they can also follow me on the socials at, at glatt, G-L-A-T-T dot brain health. I'm sure they'll tag that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be famous after you release this webinar. <laughs> We're going to change the world. Um, so those are the two best ways to access me. Amazing. All right. Yes. Uh, send that all, all to me. Anything else you want linked to, uh, I'll put that in, in the show notes. Uh, so make sure everybody you're subscribing. You know, you already are. Uh, Ryan, my man, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm assuming that everything you talked about, you feel like is the future. I don't need to say fat or future because you just talked about the future. Oh, that, that's the name of the show, right? Yeah, fat or future, man. Well, I will definitely say that there a lot of it has been inspired by fads. Mm-hmm. Brain training is one of those fads. And there's sort of a conspiracy, like, is brain training effective? And I think in order to make it more ecologically valid, or in other words, terms, more likely to transfer to real life, we need to incorporate the motor because our brains and bodies evolve simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of process approach where we're targeting different things, trying to isolate them. But look at how anatomy has been looked at differently in the fitness industry, where it's not no longer isolated. Now it's integrated. We need to look at the brain and body in a certain way. So previously, isolating things was the fad. The future is combining them together. That's what I believe. Amazing and very well wrapped up. All right, it's Joey Thurman uh, with Ryan Glatt. And remember, don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Cheers. Cheers.